as we read the scripture this morning. It's found in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 11. Now there was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine, famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in the land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations of earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might have well slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Well, good morning. On October October 28th, A little over three weeks ago, Shirley Sterling went to be with the Lord after her battle with cancer. Now, most of you probably don't even know who Shirley Sterling was. She was part of this church for 35 years, from the time we met in our old building over on Cole Road through the time we've been here, and she was a faithful, quiet servant of the Lord. She, every Sunday, would do the overheads before we had our projection system on the overhead during our worship service. And she quietly served and went to women's Bible studies and was just uh, a faithful part of our congregation. At the memorial service, it became clear that Shirley had been involved in a lot of different community groups. She knew a lot of people throughout our community because of the different things that she did. And it was clear as people talked about her life and how they had, she had impacted them, it was clear that there was something about her that was different. One person I think summed it up very well. said, some people are religious, but Shirley had a relationship with God. You see, Shirley had experienced a relationship with God, an intimacy with Him, that spilled over into her life, that showed that she had obtained that blessing from God, that she was one of his special ones, that she was, as you might put it, a friend of God. This week is Thanksgiving week, and it's a time to think about our blessings and how God has blessed us and how we 
get his blessing. And as we look together in the passage, I think the question that we need to ask and wrestle with this morning in this text is, how do we get the blessing of God? How do we become friends of God? How do we move beyond just being religious, just being good people, to truly having the life of God in us in a way that spills over, truly being the friend of God? In this passage, we get to a point where, as we've seen, Abraham is the friend of God. Abraham has an intimacy with God. God came to him and they talked and Abraham worshipped him and they had a relationship together. God had made many promises of blessing to him. But the question is, how does that blessing get passed on from person to person? How does Isaac get the blessing of Abraham? How do we get the blessing of Abraham. There's some great truths in this passage. I want to highlight six that I think are crucial for us to understand if we are going to understand how to be more than just religious, how to be more than just getting by, how to truly be a friend of God, how to truly obtain the blessing of God. First truth I want to highlight comes in verse 1, and that is that blessing comes in the midst of real life. Blessing comes in the midst of real life. The passage begins this way. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. There was a famine in the land. Now there were famines fairly often throughout the Old Testament and God would use them to accomplish his purposes. Israel can be a very dry land and to have a famine means you have no food. And so our tendency when we are in famine to carry out the analogy is that we need to go where we can get food, right? That makes sense. And Isaac thinks, okay, I'm in the land, but it's desert here and I need to go where I can get food. And so he heads for Egypt. Okay. Egypt had the Nile River, which ran even when there were famines, there was lots of Water, crops were being grown. And so as we see several times in the scripture, people headed to Egypt. Abraham did. Isaac did. Oh, power. There we go. Jacob did. So it was normal to go there because it looks good. There's water. There's the Nile River. And hey, there is where food is. I need to go there. How often do we kind of do the same thing? We... We experience famine in our lives. We experience struggle. We experience a difficult job or job loss or financial difficulty or we're in a famine of a marriage where everything's dry. Maybe we feel a famine in our relationship with God. And what happens is we begin to look elsewhere. We start looking for Egypt. Now, in the Scriptures, Egypt is often a symbol of the world. It's a symbol of what the world has to offer. And the people of God often do that. They go, we need to go back to Egypt. And we do the same thing, don't we? When we're in a famine, when life's difficult, when we're in a difficult marriage, different relationship, we think, difficult relationship, we think, I need blessing, I need to go where there's food, it looks like there's food over there, and I'm going to head there. 
I need to be happy, and it looks like that's going to make me happy, and it's something the world has to offer. We all do this because it's a natural part of our fallenness in this world. And so in the midst of famine, we look elsewhere. Such thinking is common. Isaac did it. We do it. But such thinking is deadly. It's wrong. Think about Israel a little later when they're in the wilderness and they're thinking, we need to go back to Egypt. You know, we had great food. They're forgetting that they were slaves there and it was a horrible situation. But they're in the desert and they're thinking, how is God going to provide? And God provided manna, meat. When they needed water in the desert, Moses struck the rock and the water poured out. Think about how much water poured out of that rock to take care of six million people and all their livestock. Okay, this wasn't a faucet. (laughs) I remember from years and years ago in Idaho Mountain Ministries Conference when Walter Kaiser came and he was teaching on that passage. And he said, they were angry at God and they went from going like this to when Moses hit the rock, they were going like this. (laughs) There was water everywhere. You see, God wants us to learn that in the midst of famine, in the midst of real life is where he wants to bring his blessing, not somewhere else. He doesn't want us to run and try to figure out how to work it out ourselves. He wants us to learn to turn to him for a blessing right in the midst of real life so that we'll see that true blessing does come from him. It doesn't come from a change in circumstances. It does not come from Egypt. So the first truth, blessing comes in the midst of real life. Secondly, blessing always comes from God. Not Egypt, nowhere else, but God. God shows up to Abraham. He appears to him right there, still in the land. He shows up and he says, don't go down to Egypt, Isaac. Don't go where it looks good, where you think you can get what you want or need. Stay in the land. God initiates with him. He talks to him. He comes directly to him. It's a reminder to us that if we want blessing from God, it comes from him. He is the source. He's the initiator. He's already initiated blessing for us. For us, he sent his son already. He's already come Blessing doesn't come from something else beside him. It comes from him and his initiation. And he promises several things to, to Isaac here. Notice what God does. He says, sojourn in this land, stay here, and first of all, I will be with you, and I will bless you. I will be with you. It's a reminder, again, that blessing comes from relationship with him. Now, we know that theologically, don't we? I mean, we, you know, okay, yeah, all I need is you. We just sang that. All I need is Christ. You're enough for me. And yet what we really think is it's really nice having you on board, but there's a lot more I need if I'm going to have my life work out. You're sometimes hard to really know how to experience, and so I need more than you, God. I'm glad to have you along for the ride. But we think, God, come along, but I need X. 
to be blessed, or Y, or Z. I need this if I am really going to experience happiness, fulfillment, if I am going to experience life, if life is going to work, if I'm going to be okay, I need something in addition or besides you. And God says over and over again, I and what I choose to provide for you are enough. Can you trust me? I and what I choose to provide for you are enough. Can you trust me? He goes on to say, I promise I'll give you this land, Isaac, you and your descendants. Well, we have an inheritance as well. Not so much land, but we have the very presence of Christ in us. We have his life, his Holy Spirit given to us. We have Christ-likeness promised to us that we will inherit in our redeemed bodies that we have eternal life that we can experience now and then in eternity forever with him. We have an inheritance promised to us. So trust in that, he says. He promises Isaac descendants. He promises us the same. He promises us that we'll have a family. And maybe it's not your physical family, but you've been incorporated into the family of God. You have brothers and sisters all over the world who love him and are here to encourage you, and you can encourage them. And we walk together in this pathway. We are part of the family of God. And then finally he says, and... By your descendants, your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He promises us, as he promised Isaac, significance. He promises us that we will have an impact on our worlds, that when we walk with him and let him live his life through us, that the nations of the world will be blessed as we depend on him. That's significance. That's what every person longs for. Think about all these promises, that we might have intimacy, a place, a relationship where he loves us, that we might have a heritage, that we might be part of a family, that we might belong, that we might have uh, this incredible promise of significance and impact. All these things are the things that every human being is seeking everywhere. These are the blessings that people long for. And God has come and said, I offer them to you in me. Will you trust me? Will you trust that I and what I choose to give you are enough? It comes from being the friend of God, like Shirley Sterling, who wasn't perfect, no. But it was amazing those last few weeks as she fought cancer, as I spent time with her and others did, as they saw her life and saw her heart that she was experiencing the blessing of God in the midst of her cancer, a deeper joy, the blessings that God offers us, she experienced. The third truth we need to learn about blessing, besides it comes from God, is that it requires obedience, but not our obedience. That's the crazy thing about it. It requires obedience, but not our obedience. Notice verse 5. Interesting verse. Talks about all these blessings, and he says, you'll get these blessings, Isaac, because 
Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now, we naturally think that the blessing of God, if we're going to receive it, we need to obey and we need to keep our act together. We better do it right. And if I blow it, I'm going to lose the blessing because blessing comes from my obedience. The world reinforces that, right? That's what the world says. Our flesh wants that because we'd like to be able to pull it off ourselves. And the world around us is saying, hey, you want to succeed? You want blessing? You want to keep a job? You want to get good grades, etc.? You better work for it. It comes by self-effort. I read recently in a survey that most people who call themselves evangelical, born-again believers think that they get into heaven by being good. If you believe that, you're believing a lie. God's holy and perfect, and I don't care how good you are, you fall so far short, it's like from here to the sun, you can't get there by jumping. And as far as you can jump is about how good your righteousness is to him. That's foolish thinking. There is no way our obedience can earn God's blessing. No way. But here's a passage that's very interesting because it says, Isaac, you get the blessing because Abraham, your daddy, obeyed. That's kind of a strange statement. And Abraham, we know, didn't obey perfectly, but there's this interesting connection. It says, this is why you'll get it, because Abraham obeyed. Why is that there? I think it's because it's a foreshadowing of Christ. It's a picture for us that if we want to obtain the blessing, it comes through the obedience of another. There was only one who obeyed perfectly. There was only one that was righteous and holy that did it all right. And so the only way we can obtain the blessing is through his obedience, not our own. Romans 5 puts this very clear. Romans 5, verses 18 and 19. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, So then, as through the one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. What's he talking about? Adam's sin, right? Adam sinned, and condemnation spread to all of us. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted in justification of life to all men. All who believe can receive justification. Verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners... All of us were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The obedience of one man. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Not our obedience. We get the blessing of God, not because we obey, but because he obeyed. So how do we enter into that? Truth number four is the blessing requires faith. It requires faith. Notice verse 6. Short verse, but I think it's very profound. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Isaac lived in Gerar. Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Think what that meant. He was on his way to Egypt. Egypt's where the food is. You know, Egypt's where they got the big mall of the Middle East 
where they've got the big supermarkets. I mean, they got everything there, and he's living in a desert. God says, stay. Isaac stayed. He planted crops. He dug wells. He said, okay, I don't see how you're going to work this out, God, but I'm going to stay. That is faith. Faith to say, God, I'm going to trust that right here is where you want me. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to trust God when it seems foolish to do what he says. It doesn't make sense to us sometimes what God asks of us. Obeying God, trusting God can seem really foolish. Lord, you want me to stay in the fa- this famine of a marriage? Lord, you want me to stay in this famine of a job? You want me to reach out in love to this person, God? I can think of a lot better things to do with my time. It seems foolish sometimes to trust you, God, because your way just seems like a desert. But the truth is, uh, we live in darkness. We can't see the bigger picture, and he can. And he says, trust me. So our part to receive the blessing is to do what Isaac did, which is, okay, God, I will trust, and I will act on that trust. I will do what you say as an act of faith. You see, true faith is not just believing something about God and then going our own way. True faith means acting on what you believe, putting your weight on him. Trusting him enough to act on it. How many of you have ever done a ropes course? You ever done a ropes course? Quite a few of you. It's, it's a great visual aid. It's something, you know, where you get on this course and you're harnessed in and then you've got to do all these different things, walking on ropes way up high in the trees or jumping from one platform to another. And, and you, you have this harness, but how do you know this harness is going to hold you? You don't until you jump. (laughs) You don't until you test it. That's trust. And God wants us to trust that his love will hold us even when you can't see it or feel it. That's trust. God says jump and my love will catch you. My blessings will be there. And we think, well, I want to make sure I've got your blessing. You know, I want to see it in my bank account. I want to I want to have it here before I trust you. And he says, doesn't work that way. You need to step out and trust me and you'll find that I'm there. Blessing takes faith. Fifth truth. Blessing is unconditional. Blessing is unconditional. David read this story, and here we go again. Here's, we saw how Abraham twice lied about Sarah being his wife, saying he was, she was his sister because he was afraid. Now here, his son Isaac does exactly the same thing. He's afraid. I mean, God, he's just had this experience with God, and yet he steps out and says, yeah, but I've got to take care of myself. I'm afraid that they're going to kill me because Rebecca's beautiful. If, they, if I say she's my wife, so I'll just say she's my sister. So here, Isaac does just like his father Abraham and deceives 
acts in fear, betrays his own wife, leaves her hanging there that someone could have just taken her because in that culture, that's what they did. They wanted a woman who was available. They would just take her into their home, into their harem. And yet, even though he does all that, listen to verse 12 and 13. After he did all that, now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. (laughs) He got an overwhelming abundance. Now, why did God do that? Because God's blessing is in him, right? It's not so much in material possessions. Why did God specifically bless him in that way? I think it was to reveal something to him and to us. And that's that God's blessing, once you're in, once you put your faith in him, once you've become a friend of God and you're in that relationship, that place of blessing, that even when you blow it, even when you fail, even when you mess up, God still blesses. God's blessing is unconditional. It does not depend on us doing it right. Isn't that amazing? That's unlike the world. That is a mystery. And over and over again in the scriptures, we see that as how God works. It's grace. He continues to get blessed overwhelmingly, even though he messed up. He didn't do it right. And you may be going, well, that doesn't make sense. It's, it's not fair. Absolutely it's not fair. <laughs> grace is not fair. It's a gift. It's blessing in spite of how we live. If God was fair, you and I would be in hell right now. Praise Him, He's not fair. He's gracious. So, God's blessing is unconditional. Unconditional. But let me give one warning here. Does that mean that okay, then once I'm God's child, I'm his friend, that I can go live any way I want because I'm going to still get blessed. In one sense, yes, it means that. But, (laughs) you see, sin still has consequences. And if you choose sin, you may still get God's blessing, but you will experience the consequences, the death of sin. The wages of sin is always death. Even if you're under grace, if you choose sin and choose to turn your back on God, you will experience the consequences. Abraham chose to lie and deceive. Isaac did the same thing. We get into Isaac's family, and we will see in the next few chapters the incredible deceitful dysfunction that Isaac experiences. Even his own wife, Rebecca, deceives him after he deceived and betrayed her. There are consequences to sin. And so instead of saying, I can do anything I want because I'm going to have God's blessing, we should be saying, God, your blessing is so great. I want to please you. And point out my sin and I'll repent of it so I can turn back to you and, and enjoy more fully the blessings you offer me. So deal with your sin. Repent of it because the, there are always consequences to sin. 
The final truth I want to highlight in this passage is that blessing creates conflict. Isaac gets all these blessings, verse 14, for he had possessions of flocks and herds in a great household so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac gets tremendously blessed, but notice how the Philistines respond. (laughs) They're envious. They're angry. They fill in the wells. Now, think for a moment about that. This is a land in famine. There aren't rushing streams in that part of Israel. You have to dig wells, and they had worked hard to dig these wells. And so the Philistines came and filled in the wells. That is an act of war. They're out to destroy him. They get envious. And they want to drive him away. Notice what happens, I think, for us sometimes. Wait, God, I thought you were going to bless me. Why am I having so much conflict in my family? Why am I having conflict at work? Why is life difficult? I thought blessing meant everything was going to go well. Well, this is a good reminder to us that blessing actually creates conflict. The world around us begins to look at us and they say, they've got something I don't have and I'm envious. And by our human nature, we want to destroy the one who has something we don't have. Yes, it will draw some people to Christ, but it will also drive some away and make them angry. And we will experience conflict in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our jobs when we have that kind of intimate friend relationship with God. You see, if God is at work in you, if you live as a friend of God, then the world will hate you. Jesus said that, right? John chapter 15, Jesus said to his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, The world hates you. So when others are critical, angry about your faith, again, not because you're religious, but because you're a friend of God, don't be surprised. What have we learned from this amazing story? Let me just highlight, remind us. One is that every person longs to have God's blessing. Every human person ultimately is, whatever they're seeking, they're seeking ultimately God's blessing. They're trying to find it somehow, somehow, because that's what we're created for. But what we've seen is that the blessing of God does not come by any effort on our part. There's no way we can earn it. There's no way we can make it happen. We can't be good enough. It only comes by the obedience of another, the one who went to the cross for us, who was pure and holy and perfect and obeyed the Father and submitted even to the point of death. He died for us. So to receive that blessing, it takes faith. It takes simply trusting in his life and his death for us. But once you're in a relationship with God... You are the friend of God. You 
have trusted him for your life and begun to walk with him, then that blessing of God is unconditional. Your behavior cannot stop it. It's a gift. It's not earned. You are within his blessing. He will bless you despite your failures and struggles so you can relax in that. Don't choose sin. That's foolish. There's consequences. But relax in his love. But also note that blessing does not mean that life is easy. He wants to bless you right in the midst of famine, right in the midst of conflict, right in the midst of a world that is at war with God. You can't avoid it if you're going to walk with him. So the conclusion is God's word to Isaac is his word to us as well. Sojourn in this land. Stay where I put you. And I will bless you. I will be with you, he says, and I will bless you.